0: It is good to be together again this morning to worship the Lord. You know, things come into our life that remind us of things in the past sometimes. And uh, I was just reminiscing a little bit. Uh, It's been good to have uh, Brendan in our home a little bit. I mean, we see him about this much. But see, I remember his daddy when he was younger than he is. So... uh, It's uh, been a little good to uh, renew some of those things. There's a couple of verses in Jeremiah, and you don't need to turn to this, but it's right after our Sunday school lesson today that caught my attention in preparation for this morning. Verse 20 of chapter 33 says this, Thus saith the Lord, if ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant. And you drop down to verse 25 and it says this, Thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not with day and night, And if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, uh, that's where my mind went this morning, not on the link between that and, and his covenant with David, but you'll understand it in a little bit. And then a verse that Caleb... I'm sorry, that Andrew uh, read this morning, I think he read it, uh, at least it was in that same chapter of John, where Jesus answered Pilate, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. The title I have is who, or I'm sorry, God is in control, I should. About to put it in a question. Who is in control? And those verses in Jeremiah said he's got a covenant with day and night, and you can't break that. Jesus told Pilate, If God hadn't given you any power, you couldn't, I mean, God doesn't give it to you, you don't have any power over me. And a window sticker is sort of what started all this in my thought process. I think it said, relax, God is in control. Now I thought, you know, you'd usually think of bumper stickers, this was on the back window of a car. But I thought, maybe it would be better to say, rejoice, God is in control. Because man's got it all messed up. Um... Maybe just a little bit, um, people might say it was happenstance, but I don't quite see it that way. I had heard something in years past, but after I'd already printed my notes off this morning, somebody sent me a link to something that seems absurd, but it gives a picture into what man's thought process is, and some of you probably heard about the individual that thought they ought to move the deer crossing signs to where it's safe for the deer to cross because the deer are crossing at those signs and they shouldn't be crossing out there in the 65 mile an hour speed limit. We think it's absurd. But this individual was petitioning people to move those signs to tell the deer it's safe to cross here and thought they ought to put them in a school zone where it's 25 so that that they uh, and the person was serious. I will to tell you something. God's still in control, and those deer are going to go at their instincts. Man's not going to change it, and man's not going to change a lot of other things either, because man is not in control. And even if I want to be in control, God is still in control. And it's the quicker I let Him be in control, the better off it'll be in, in life for everybody. And so I think a lot of you know that we do some farming. And so weather is on my mind a lot. Well I it's it's sort of amusing when I look at the weather forecast. And you see earlier in the week there was not the mention of rain, no thunderstorms, no nothing for a whole week. Well, then the next day it's got thunderstorms Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Well, not that gets your hopes up. Well, the next day it's, well, there's nothing on uh, Wednesday. And then the next day, well, you got a chance of thunderstorms on Tuesday. Who's in control? Someone said this that has the, the uh, ability to irrigate. They said they put two inches of rain on their corn and they couldn't tell any difference. They put two more inches on and then it looked a little better. Well, we were blessed this week at Mount Solon to get a half an inch. And you know, our corn looked a whole lot better when it came God's way. God is still in control. I have a couple of verses down here. I won't give you time to turn to them. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. I mean, if I would go by the forecast to do crops, like he said, you just wouldn't plant. I can't get ready to plant tomorrow because it's predicting rain. Well, you know what? It didn't rain that day. Because God is still in control. Turn with me to Psalm 65. I looked a little bit at this, and well, one verse took me to Isaiah 42. Well, we're memorizing that. And uh, the verse that, that came up was this one. Thus saith, the Lord, the, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. That's Isaiah 42, verse 5, that we just memorized or at least worked on. But notice what it says in Psalm 65, and I want to read this psalm this morning. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Or God's going to make a remedy for our transgressions. Verse 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy throne, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things and righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation. Who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea? Which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power. Which, sitteth the noise, which stilleth the noise, of the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God. Which is full of water. Let me read that part of that verse again thou visitest the earth and waterst it thou greatly enrichest it with the water of god which is full of water thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly thou settlest the furrows thereof thou makest it soft with showers thou blessest the springing thereof thou crownest the year with thy goodness and thy paths drop fatness They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. God is in control. Period. Whether we Accepted or not, he still is in control. And so, you know, I think about the last year and a half, we thought, well, COVID's behind us. Now, the Delta variant, or whatever else you want to put on it. God's still in control. Period. I want to look a little bit at the plagues of Egypt, back in Exodus. I'm not going to look at the plague so much as the control of God in these plagues. And it's significant to me. God said it, it happened just like He said it. God revoked it, and it happened. Every time, without fail. I want to start in Exodus chapter 7. This is actually before the plagues. Verse 9: When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Verse 10: They went in before Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. God said, here's a sign for you to give to Pharaoh. So let's drop down to the first plague, down to verse 19 of chapter 7. The Lord spake to Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, and that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. The end of verse 20, all the waters that were in the rivers were turned to blood, and the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. That lasted for seven days, according to the end of that chapter. Verse 25 says that in seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. Now we might say. God did this, but their magicians did too. Yeah, they did. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter eight, verse two. If you refuse to let my people go. Behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Verse 5. The Lord spake unto Moses, Saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. Burns, do you like frogs? You want to sleep with frogs? You want to step outside and walk with frogs? That's what they had. They had frogs everywhere. Verse 7. The magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs. Verse 9. Moses said unto Pharaoh, When shall I entreat thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. I don't understand Pharaoh's thought process. If I had frogs, I'd want them out of there now. I mean, five minutes ago. But he said, no, tell him tomorrow, I want these going. Verse 13, the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. Pharaoh still wasn't ready to turn the people loose. Verse 16, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Any question about God's control in these situations now is taking out on a due dimension. Moses and Aaron brought forth this lice out of the dust, but the magicians could not. So there was lice upon man and upon beast. Verse 19, and the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The magicians were seeing that God is in control. This is God's doing. We can't do it. This is God's doing. Verse 21: If thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy ha- upon thy people, and upon thy houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies. And also the ground whereupon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people, tomorrow shall this sign be. The Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted or destroyed by reason of the swarm of flies. I'll stop there just a little bit. My mind went to not very long ago. How many of you remember cicadas? All right, I have a faint memory of them because you see they didn't come as far as Edinburgh. And I am rejoicing they didn't. Because when I came to church one Sunday and saw those things crawling around and heard them, uh, it it was quite a sound. I can't imagine flies in the swarms that they must have been. In the houses of Pharaoh and his servants and the people of Egypt. Can you imagine what they thought when they saw that the houses in Goshen were fly free? God's in control. He was then. He is today. Verse 26. Moses said, it it, it is not meat. So to do for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, we shall, lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? Now that doesn't have as much to do with the control of God. But I thought it was interesting. I don't think I'd ever noticed that particular verse You know, I get intrigued by the plagues and all this kind of stuff, but I don't think I'd ever noticed that verse stuck in there. Because Pharaoh said, what? Just go out here and and sacrifice to your God here in the land. Moses said, that won't work. Because our sacrifices are going to be animals that are sacred to you and can't be killed, and when your people see us killing those animals... They're going to come out and destroy us. It was interesting when I came across this, and I'll read this in the Amplified. It says this, Moses said, It is not suitable or right to do that, for the animals the Egyptians hold sacred and will not permit to be slain are those which we are accustomed to sacrifice to the Lord our God. If we did this before the eyes of the Egyptians, would they not stone us? Because, you see, they took these animals. um, Let me see here if I can find it without reading at all. Um, Perhaps few people were more superstitious than the Egyptians. Almost every production of nature was an object of their religious worship. The sun, moon, planets, stars, the river Nile, animals of all sorts, from the human being to the monkey, dog, cat, and ibis, it's the kind of bird, and even the onions and leeks which grew in their gardens. Jupiter was adorned by them under the form of a ram. Apollo under the form of a crow. And they, other, other gods were put under the form of certain animals, and they were sacred. So Moses said, we can't offer this this sacrifice to God. Well, God had said, you need to go out of Egypt. But even on top of that, Moses said, we can't do it here. Because this would happen. So Pharaoh got tired of these flies. Verse 30. Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Do you notice what the next phrase said? There remained not one. Now, I don't like flies. And if I have one... Flying around in my living room. I'm trying to get him. When God does it. He does it completely. It says there remain not one. And I'm simple enough to believe. That when God did it. He did it completely. And they couldn't find another fly. But this still didn't work with Pharaoh. Verse 32. Then chapter 9. Verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. There shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. Verse 6. The Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. Now, I'd be glad for some input after the service this morning, because some of these things in putting it all together... um, it's a little hard for me to grasp some of these things because later on you're going to find out that any of the livestock that was out in the field were killed by the hail. Um, this uh, let me see, but the cattle, of the, let me see, all the cattle of Egypt died. Now maybe it was the horses and the donkeys and all that, there was others that were listed up there that was left to be killed by the hail, I'm not sure. And it doesn't matter because God is still in control. And that's what the focus is this morning. Verse 10 of chapter 9. They took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. And it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. God brought these boils. And I don't know, don't think I saw it in here. You know, I'm guessing they couldn't stand because there are probably boils on the bottom of their feet. I don't know. God tells them there's going to be some more yet. Verse 19, God told them there was going to be this hailstorm. Verse 19 says, Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. Verse 20, he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. See, they still haven't grasped that God is in control of all this and what he says he's going to do. Verse 23, Moses stretched forth his his rod toward heaven. And I underlined that one there. I don't know if there's any significance. But if you noticed in some of the earlier plagues, it talks about Moses telling Aaron to use the rod. Now it says that Moses stretched forth his rod towards heaven. Continuing to read, The Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there has, was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. You know, weather patterns are intriguing, okay? But, you know, the quicker we just get out of the way and let God do his thing, the better off we are. Because you can go sometimes and there's almost a distinct line where there's a downpour and not even a drop. And you can be driving through and you can't hardly see and you come and it's almost like a line and there's nothing. Nothing the doing of God because he's in control verse 29 Moses said unto him as soon as I am gone out of the city I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord and the thunder shall cease neither shall there be any more hail that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's Moses said we're going to prove again to you that God is in control this is his the earth is his Chapter 10, verse 4. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coasts, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither their fa- neither thy fathers nor thy fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. You're going to see locusts like you've never imagined or seen before. You're not going to be able to see the ground. They're going to get in your houses. They're going to clean off everything that was left from the hail. Verse 13, Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night, and when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. All right, that's, I don't know, I, I, the English language don't do very good on this one, or at least my mind doesn't. It's um, It's amazing. God brought those locusts in on the east wind. Notice what happened in verse 19. The Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. He brought them in. He cleaned them all out, every one of them you have any question about whether God is in control of these things? You know, I say I don't have any question about that. But too many at times I act like I don't understand that. Verse 22, the Lord stretched forth his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place for three days. The only thing I can think about is being down in uh, the the big room in Mammoth, Mammoth Cave when they turned the lights out. That's as near as I can come to what this feeling must have been. You couldn't see anything, nothing. I mean, you could touch your eyeball and you couldn't see it yet. This talks about, they didn't even get out of bed because it was so dark. I think I could stand three days in bed. But I don't think I would want it to be because the darkness was so thick that you couldn't see to get out of bed. But notice the last of that verse. But. All the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And this has nothing to do with a electric power failure in Egypt. It's not talking about an electric power failure that well, down the street they had light. Up here it's dark. Now this wasn't that kind of darkness. It wasn't that kind of light. Verse twenty eight. Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Pharaoh is getting to where he's about got enough, but I still don't think he comprehends that God is in control for some reason. Well, you know, you go back and look at it. You read phrases where Pharaoh hardened his heart. You read phrases where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I don't want to get into that this morning. But Pharaoh said, if you see me again, you're going to die. And I take that to mean that Pharaoh's going to end Moses' life. He's done with this. He hadn't recognized that this isn't Moses he's working against. It's God he's working against. Through Moses. Through Moses. Chapter 11, verse 4. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. This was the prediction that God gave to Moses. No, it wasn't a prediction. Because this was already settled. This is what is going to happen. Go over to chapter 12 and verse 29. It came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. Of course, you know what happened. Pharaoh drove them out, but he still hadn't learned because he pursued after them, and and Pharaoh's end was sealed at the Red Sea. I want to look just briefly at a couple of other uh, accounts in the life of the children of Israel. Go to Judges chapter 7. You're probably familiar with the, the story of Gideon. And I'm not going into the story of Gideon, but I'm, we're talking about God being in control. So look at chapter 7, verse 6. And this is when the army was being um, limited by God. Verse 6 says, The number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that left will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man into his place. So the people took their victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Now, you know, from a human standpoint, this would have been bordering on absurd. You have this this Midianite army in the valley, and Gideon said, everybody go home, I'm just taking these three hundred men with me. Let's continue reading verse nine. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered them, delivered it into thine hand. Now I take this to be God telling Gideon, They're yours, go on down. But he said, If you have fear, verse ten. If thou fear to go down, go with pure, go thou with Pura, thy servant down to the host, thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to do to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host, and the Midianites and the Malachites, the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without number, as the sand of the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. God was in control. He knew what was going on. He knew what was going to happen. Turn to 1 Samuel. Chapter 26. and verse 6. This is where David spares Saul the second time. Verse 6 Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the to the people at night, people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But, I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. Now, I want to stop there just briefly because as I looked into this, it, when you look at that cruise of water, it appears to be part of Saul's pillar. Now, I don't know. Um, but it appears though, as though, when you look back to what the cruise of water meant, I know some of the versions say a jug of water, uh, and that's fine. But it appears as though that cruise of water was part of his pillow. Verse 12 So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they set, and they get them away. Let me back up. I said that wrong. Took the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. The bolster was the pillow. And so I get the picture that you know you have this, uh, this cruise of water in your pillow. I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm making, making too much of it, but I thought that was significant because of what's about to be said. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked. For they were all asleep. Because a deep sleep from the Lord was falling upon them. God put them to sleep and they weren't going to wake up until God said it's time to wake up. I believe David could have uh, sang a song. I was about ready to say danced, because he's put in that picture sometimes. But I believe David could have done about anything he wanted to and the people would have slept because God caused them to sleep. I want to go yet to Matthew, chapter 8, and there's just a number of things here, I probably won't pick up all of them, but when you see what Jesus did when he was here on this earth, you have the leper cleansed in the first part of. Of chapter 8. You have the centurion's servant healed. And Jesus didn't even go to his house. You see it says. In verse 13. Jesus said unto the centurion. Go thy way. And as thou hast believed. So be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed. In the self same hour. Because God is in control. Then you have Jesus', I mean, sorry, Peter's mother in law healed. Go down to verse 23. It says this, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, ye of little faith? Then he arose, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Then you have the, um, what many times we refer to as the Gadarene de Mileniac. I'd like to say he's the, the Gadarene convert instead of the because he wasn't a demoniac anymore he was a child of God and then the beginning of chapter 9 you have the man with the palsy healed it was referred to in our Sunday school class this morning James 5 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So was Elijah the one who was in charge? No. God was still in charge, and he worked through Elijah's prayer. song came to my mind it's not necessarily about what i've been talking about this morning but do we know the the uh song god is still on the throne well enough to sing a verse have you started for glory and heaven have you left this old world far behind in your heart is the comforter dwelling Can you say, praise the Lord, he is mine? Have the ones that once walked on the highway gone back and you seem all alone? Keep your eyes on the prize for the home in the skies. God!